From the Spec Network, this is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. Squash bugs in less than a minute with Instabug. Now let's say you just finished developing your application and you want to have it tested to get some feedback on it. So of course, you send it out to your users. And unfortunately, they discover bugs in your app. It happens to all of us. And you know how it goes from here. The feedback process is tedious and you never get enough data back from the end users. This is where Instabug can help you out. Instabug is an SDK that provides your beta app with a super intuitive bug reporting and feedback solution that helps you reproduce errors and iterate much faster. Now then, when your app goes live, you can track how your app is performing through their smart auto crash reporting solution, which identifies similar crashes, groups them together, and also measures their severity according to its impact on your users. You can reproduce and fix the errors much faster by inspecting the complete stack trace and other app data attached with each crash report. Furthermore, you can use Instabug without ever having to change your workflow. That means you can have the same feedback delivered right to the tools that you're already using. Some integrations include Jira, Slack, GitHub, Trello, and many more. If this is something that's interesting to you, you can go to instabug.com slash fragmented. From there, you can sign up for free, install the SDK, and you'll automatically be sent one of Instabug's brand new t-shirts. Again, go to instabug.com slash fragmented. Thanks, Instabug. Hey, folks. So in this episode, we do something a little different. I recently had a phone conversation with my good friend, Jesse Wilson. He's been on the show before, so you folks should already know. He's been doing some really interesting stuff with Kotlin multi-platform. And I've actually had some conversations with him before outside of the podcast about some of the ways he's been doing some of this interesting stuff uh, at Square, even before Kotlin multi-platform. So in this episode, I actually go into some of those details. Uh, I try to pepper him with questions about where he, how he thinks about this whole multi-platform project. Um, and this is a little unstructured. It's not like our typical fragmented shows. Uh, this one is really just a phone conversation that he and I decided to hit record on. Without further ado, enjoy the show. I want to start off by asking you a couple of things. I don't know if you remember, but this was like at some bar in San Francisco or something. Once we were talking about this, uh, you mentioned that code sharing is something that you've always been interested in, right? And you mentioned this really slick way of doing it with JavaScript, uh, if I remember right, for the Square Cash app. Uh, can you like just tell me like how you started that off? Definitely. So one of the things that was interesting about our app is we really want to be able to change the behavior without mm -hmm. waiting for an app release. And sometimes that's like changing the behavior for like the benefit of our customers, but often it's changing the behavior for like our obligations to regulators and things. So my favorite oh, example here is like today I might like have something where it says like you paid Wikipedia $10 and we might be like, oh, actually a payment to Wikipedia is like considered to be a donation. And so we actually want the label in the app to be, you donated $5 to Wikipedia. And so, oh, interesting. so in order to do that, 
we basically want to be able to say anywhere in the app, we want to be able to like make the the copy, like all the strings, mm-hmm. um, rather than putting them in like a strings XML file. We want something that's even more dynamic and where like the the strings of a particular like payment screen or something could change independently. And so, if if I just pose you as that like as as a potential mm-hmm. problem, mm-hmm. it's like what are the how, how do you solve that like? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a fantastic question because, uh, A, like, I mean, now that you've told me like you do it with JavaScript, that's like a fantastic solution, right? Like that's, I think, a slick solution. I think traditionally the common way that most people would start off thinking was like, oh, I just use a web view, right, to uh, display this. But obviously web views come with a whole slew of problems, as we know. Uh, the other second uh, solution was like, oh, you just try it, like, A, just repeat the same code in different platforms, but that has a whole uh, set of problems. The biggest problem with the different platforms is that uh, it prevents us from being able to make a change today and have it happen right. retroactively to yeah. apps that our customers got, you know, three months ago. Right. I, I like that aspect because, like, it, it isn't so much so the code sharing with the solution that you had, but it's more like being able to, like, release these updates instantaneously to users, right, without having to ship App updates. Yeah. So the way it mostly works is uh, we we client side we have like basically a JSON model for mm-hmm. every payment, um, and then we have some JavaScript that says, given that JSON model, return something that has like the title, the subtitle, the label of the button, um, maybe some other places, yeah, other text that we show on the on the payment screen, and then maybe mm-hmm. even like. Yeah, like list view, or I guess your recycler view, and you want to see a whole bunch of payments. Uh, give me the the summary. And so we have a JavaScript function that like takes basically a full payment JSON in, and then mm-hmm. returns the set of strings. And um, what's what's probably neatest about it is is that the contents of that JSON is mostly opaque to the mobile team, and so oh. to, like shove in a new field like charity equals true. The mm-hmm. server team knows about it, and the yeah. same team is maintaining this like JavaScript that goes mm-hmm. from uh, payment in and labels out, but the client developers basically never see that field. I see. So if I was a client developer on the team, basically, and this new functionality comes in, uh, you would have to translate that to like models that the client team understands and then use in, uses in the view uh, logic, or is that also like... Is that how it went, or like no? Is it like completely like how opaque was that? So it's it's not as opaque as we would like it. If we were to be doing it today, what we'd probably say is like, here's the JSON, and like the client doesn't even ever parse it into a model. So um, that that's that was the ideal, and uh, it worked relatively well. And um, we're we're actually we, we were really happy with it, and it solved a whole bunch of problems, mm-hmm. but. Um, basically a lot of issues with like how the interface into our JavaScript APIs work has made right, right. this, um, it like, it, if, if it was just as simple as like basically looking up a string resource, um, mm-hmm. I think we would be really happy with this, but what's happened today, you know, this is, this is something we shipped like three years ago. Um, mm-hmm. what's happened today is, uh, there's like, basically the, the JavaScript isn't as fast as we'd want it to be. Um, yeah. So, 
bowls and it doesn't work quite mm-hmm. that quite that well. And so um, basically we're at, we're at this point now where we're like multi-platform things are awesome and we really right. love how much power they give us. Mm-hmm. But um, basically this like, um, I, I almost think of it as like, um, like VBScript or like AppleScript inside of our mm-hmm. app where it's like, we've got this like one little piece where we can like script things independently. That's nice. But um, I don't think it's like our long-term uh, multi-platform strategy. It's it's very limited in what we use it for, and mm-hmm. the interface is not um, that like the API into JavaScript is just not powerful enough. Right, and it, so th- this like uh, this opens up like the conversation for the multi-platform stuff, right? That's also something like historically multi-platform like with the C at the C layer, this was also possible, right? Before like the Kotlin multi-platform solution. We could still do that, right? And famously, I think Dropbox or someone wrote that post. And but it was a very similar problem, right? Where the JNI layer is just tortuous to deal with, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to be writing like that JNI interfacing layer. So in many ways, I felt that was like why it never took off. Uh, uh, and it's almost like you're saying it's a similar problem that you're having with JavaScript, where like the API layer is like kind of I mean, hard to deal with. A good example with the JavaScript was. Do we do this basically like looking up labels in mm-hmm. our background thread, or do we do it in our foreground thread? And both are a little bit unsatisfying. I see. Uh, can yeah? What were the problems like? If I mean, I can understand why you would not do it in the main thread, like as a regular Android developer. What were the problems in doing it in the background thread? Ultimately, it just means that um, yeah. the view model knows a little bit too much about the view. Ah, I see. It's it's like really nice if the view model is like. The payment is is for fifty dollars, and the counterparty's name is like Jesse Wilson, and this is the mm-hmm. URL of the of the image. Um, so I I still think that like if we if we invested in it more, I think we could get something that we really like. But it's also like a very small solution where I think that like we mm-hmm. actually have big problems, and we also want to find a big solution to solve them with. Right. So. There are like, even like before we get into like the Kotlin multi-platform stuff, I want to ask you a couple of things, right? How do you even think about like this whole sharing thing? Because the way you posed the first problem with what like the JavaScript uh, thing solved was like pretty good because it was like, hey, the primary goal was how can I change logic on the fly, right? And so that definitely was the solution. Uh, With the whole multi-platform stuff, right? When you think about sharing code, what do you think about sharing? Like, is it like just pure business stateless logic? Is it like this lookup kind of uh, thing that you had in JavaScript? Would you care to have business logic shared? What about the UI layer, right? Because obviously the next uh, question that most people ask is like, oh, what, what about like things like Flutter, right? Where they go like a, a step beyond and also want to share like the UI layer. And then there's like the database, the networking. How do you think about it? Like, what is your ideal layer of separation for sharing code? All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a bit meta- metaphysical here. So with Android, I think that the initial set of Android developers, a lot of us came from like maybe like the Java server-side community. Mm-hmm. And we all had, um, I think like we all had uh, software architecture as, as a, kind of like a, a religion or something we'd really bought into. Android has had dependency injection for a very long time. Android mm-hmm. has had like very strong feelings about testing for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the frameworks for Android are all really intended to support building like really big applications. 
it's been my experience that um, iOS comes from a very different place. Um, I think that uh, iOS developers, and especially like the initial version of like um, UIKit, I think it's really optimized for building very small applications. And this like sort of comes from what early versions of, of iOS looked like. You think of like the the early iOS apps on their early iPhone were very mm-hmm. much like single screen, two screen apps. They didn't have right. uh, they didn't have much depth. And I think that like the iOS fundamental architecture mm-hmm. uh, really like leaned into that where um, you know there's no activity abstraction and even things like uh, like the these libraries and things on iOS there's not nearly as big of an open source community on iOS and there's right. not like there's not like 15 different navigation libraries for example that's like so fascinating too right like why do you think that is is it just because like it goes back to this like architecture sort of like mindset for like most java developers who came in or uh, why do you think that is or was it just like a limitation of the platform i think i think it's a handful of things i think like the um i, th- I think that they're also both relatively valid like i think it's probably wrong to use too much architecture on android and mm-hmm. you read android Re- android dev reddit and everybody's like why do I have to use Dagger? I'm sad. And um, <laughs> and then among like iOS developers, it's like uh, my application is great, but if I need to add one more screen, uh, mm-hmm. we have to do a rewrite. Um, uh, and so uh, the the place I found uh, myself, we wanted to add a feature to our app, and we were looking at the the screens on iOS and Android are very very similar. Um, mm-hmm. We actually have an app where we pretty much um, we pretty much have our own distinct design that doesn't follow too closely to Material. Definitely doesn't follow too closely to like the old Android guidelines, mm-hmm. and um, we also don't follow closely to like the iOS uh, equivalent guidelines. Like we have our own really distinct design, and it's much more uh, the same across the two platforms. Right. And most companies, like they call this like their design system, right? Cause they exactly. want their own independent design system. And then our network APIs are pretty much identical because it's the same service that's serving both apps. But mm-hmm. if you open up the source code of like the cash app for Android and you open mm-hmm. up the source code for the cash app for iOS, they are just like vastly, vastly different, different architectural patterns, different, um, testing approaches. The mm-hmm. iOS app doesn't use uh, DI. Our Android app uses right. DI pervasively. The iOS app basically um, hates persistence because core data <laughs> makes you hate persistence. Right. And the Android app, like SQL Delight is amazing and it's all mm-hmm. database driven. Um, even things like our Android app is incredibly reactive and we're mm-hmm. like very, very bought in to like reactive models and the iOS app is not. Mm. And so uh, they're vastly different and, you know, who cares? But then we go to implement, you know, a relatively big new feature and you ask the two teams, you say like, hey, Android team, uh, we've got two features we're planning, say, feature A and feature B. Uh, mm. Android team, what is it? how much time is it to build feature A? And they might say like, feature A is really big. It'll take us nine months. Feature B... <laughs> It'll take us one month. And you mm-hmm. ask the iOS team, and you say, same two features, and they give you the opposite answer. They'll say feature A is one month and feature B is nine months. And uh, it's because like 
different architectures lend your, lend themselves to solving different problems. Right. Um, and, and then if you think about like what our product team is doing, where they're like, okay, well, um, you know, what do we want to ship in 2019? Mm-hmm. Um, where we want to ship the same thing across both uh, platforms and we ultimately have to pay the most expensive price, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing, it's not like we're going to ship feature A on one platform and feature B on another. We have to okay. ship right. um, <laughs> on both, right? And so the fact that our architecture is different has mm-hmm. become a massive liability, mm-hmm. right? We don't even care if like it's I, I, like having one month on both platforms, I don't think is a, is a thing, but um, <laughs> Because ultimately, these these like different architectures have different trade offs. They make certain things easy, and they make certain other things hard. Absolutely, and like we've seen a very similar thing on in in Instacart too. Like where you know the same thing. Like because of this whole reactive paradigm, like if you have to like combine four network calls and then do something, we're like, oh yeah, just like two days. Like you know, just fiddle around with like some RX operators, and we're there. Versus yeah, if like we didn't uh, in the past when we didn't have RX on like the iOS side, this was like, you know, no, this is like a three-week affair. So, yeah. And so the fact that the architectures are wildly different is, to me, the biggest problem that we need to solve. Interesting. And like what I mostly want is Mm -hmm. the uh, architecture, independent of sharing any code, Mm -hmm. I want the architectures to converge. So um, my ideal is is that like next year, you know, feature C and Mm -hmm. D, whatever time it takes for feature C to build on iOS correlates really closely with what time it takes to take on Android. Nice, um, nice. And so um, what that means is like... And the approach you went with this was to like, regardless of code sharing, just having both uh, platform developers think of a feature being architected or built in the same way, right? Like that's the, the step one, yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. And yeah. so what it means is that like, uh, we use we have to start using the same vocabulary. So mm-hmm. um, on iOS, we have a thing called the content model. On Android, we have a thing called the view model. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have a thing called the view model on Android that is not the <laughs> same. And so um, what we want to do is basically uh, get Android and iOS developers to do, do basically architecture reviews or design reviews for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially do code reviews and even things like um, here's the you know here's the schema of our Android SQLite database. Um, mm-hmm. Does this like look like what you're doing on iOS? Mm-hmm. And if we can get those things to converge, right? Um, then ultimately, like the thing I'm most interested in is is agility. Mm-hmm. So we can say let's build a feature and we can build it on both platforms. Uh, and um, if if the architectures are aligned, then the amount of work should be aligned. I love this. I mean, this is in fact like this is one of my big efforts right now where I work is this. It's exactly this. Like I'm actually spending a lot of time with the iOS folks because we're trying to converge on like uh, an architecture, and I think we've reached there. It is like, and I mean, but that's like a whole different topic. I've in previous episodes I've like talked about this, but. I, I had like a couple of quick follow-up questions. How are you actually also, how to me, like, you know, and this is maybe a pet peeve or a nit that I have. I feel like you mentioned like the vocabulary, right? Like how important is that? Like, are you saying like, no, we should really call this the same? Or do you have like, oh, mentally, I'm just keeping like this mapping of like, okay, the iOS people call this and the Android people call this. Like how close are you like uh, trying to get there? Well, uh, the aspiration is, for like the class names to be the same. Okay. 
And and the main reason is is that although there's like it it will it will be bad if if the cache Android app calls its what what all other Android developers call view models if we call them content models. Right. That's like sort of annoying. Um, right. But what we mostly want is to optimize for you're in the meeting with the like people from the other platform and mm-hmm. um, uh, when you're saying like is this in your content model we want mm-hmm. that to to mean the same thing um, and so even like like we want to converge on vocabulary we want to converge on like how we identify um, basically navigational patterns so, you know, is it a bottom sheet or is it, um, I don't even know what the heck we call it on iOS. Um, <laughs> we want to have like the same words, uh, right. so that like ultimately when we're interacting with like designers or server programmers, mm-hmm. um, those all should be the same. And then if you're reading code from the other platform, uh, you know, you code review some new feature, mm-hmm. uh, if the like syntax is different, that's that having the words the nouns the same is actually going to be big uh, benefit, right? Right, and that makes perfect sense. Uh, so the step one is basically at least have similar or if not like yeah, aspirationally as like similar as possible uh, architectures. Is step two then to basically use something like uh, the uh, Kotlin multi-platform like solution to uh, make it literally the same code? Or yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? So. I got, I got a, I got a hypothesis on this. Um, if we make it so that the Android and iOS developers are working really, really close together, mm-hmm. um, right now, I think there's a, I think there's an issue where um, if I'm an iOS developer and my Android team says, "Hey, um, here's a bunch of Kotlin code. I want you to like learn this new platform, learn its build tools, mm-hmm. um, integrate in Xcode in a way that Xcode right. is not very satisfying." Mm-hmm. Um, this feels like mostly like a complete lose to the perspective right. of the iOS team, right? Um, I don't, I don't like this, uh, what I would call like platform imperialism where the Android mm-hmm. developers are coming in and saying, we're going to start shipping code on, on your platform. Um, mm-hmm. and so what I want to try and we're, we're super, super early still, I, f- I feel like it will only feel like a win when it's, um, it's something that our our Swift developers pull rather right. than something that it's something our Android developers are pushing. So right. if you're the Swift developer and you're like, you know, I got to get this new cache Bitcoin feature into the <laughs> iOS app, um, I'm going to take the Kotlin code and spend four hours trans- transliterating it uh, into Swift mm-hmm. manually. Mm-hmm. If you like do that, you're like, cool, like the models are the same. That work was annoying, but now the code is the same. Um, mm-hmm. what if, what if you could do that and then you'd be like, you know what, it'd just be easier if I could just actually compile this Kotlin file. And right. so if we can get to that point, then I think that that's like where Kotlin multi-platform will be a huge win for us. But I think that like for that strategy to work, it either has to be individual developers who are saving time by being responsible for two platforms mm-hmm. or, um, developers who like don't have a specific uh, platform loyalty. And there's a bunch of identity tied into that. You know, like you spend a lot of energy getting good at Swift and like Mm -hmm. to get, to spend a lot of energy getting good at Swift and then only to go off and like use Kotlin feels bad. 
All right, right. Because yeah, it doesn't seem like a, yeah a win for your personal development, given that you have chosen to invest in this platform, yeah. right? So, uh, so that's that's like the the strategy, and mm-hmm. then like how it actually all f- where where the chips fall, you know, is TBA. Talk to me next right. year again. Like this is like you know music to my ears because it sounds exactly like the kind of problems they're running into. We've uh, we've tried. We're actually experimenting with. Scotland multi-platform as well but where we started was like purely stateless uh, logic right like we're like hey we have a set of business rules there's you know when you're picking an item like there's like these 5,000 different like combinations when you go to a grocery store so uh, let's just at least share that logic so it's like you give input you get output right and that kind of stuff works well uh, but again like there are some problems with this approach right like a like you said it's the same thing the in flight update you don't get that right so it does require like a code change the second is for basic stateless logic it works but even that right like a problem that we have found is very similar to what you're saying like swift doesn't it has like an ns date object right uh, kotlin multi platform i don't know if it even has a date object or if it does like you know it, there are things where like oh so then you have to add one more sort of uh, translation layer uh, like you know, like a translation model, and then at that point it starts to get a little tedious, right? Then like one platform is basically not going to enjoy their life, right? And like obviously <laughs> it's, it's it's the same thing, right? Like the Swift developers now are like, wait, I don't have a data object, so I have to create this new data object. So all the things I know about how the data object works uh, currently, all that knowledge is lost. So and that is definitely the biggest problem. And as it stands today, multi- Kotlin multi-platform is working towards that, but it, they're not there yet, right? Definitely. And and so we're doing that, and then in concert, we are like ultimately trying to find places where um, you, you could imagine that every every mobile app today has like the old code in Java mm-hmm. or Objective C and the new code in Kotlin and Swift. And um, it is a very winning strategy to replace Objective C things with Kotlin things. No, <laughs> right? That is true. That Re- is replacing true. Uh, replacing Swift with Kotlin is like a lateral not, or negative yeah, move. Right, right. Uh, so, so that's one part. And so, for us, um, we're not here yet, but like we're trying to get SQL Delight persistence working on iOS. Maybe uh, network APIs working in Kotlin. Um, on iOS, and then what's neat there is is that if we get both persistence and networking working together, um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of code that's responsible for literally just calling the server APIs and putting stuff in the SQLite database, and mm-hmm. that code can actually be truly cross-platform. Yeah, that's that 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 definitely would be the ideal, right? Because the uh, so like this is another like question I had, right? Do you also want to get to a world where you're also sharing? your database and networking like that like that seems i mean it sounds like yeah you do want to get to that world where you're sharing that logic like you know the database and networking logic what about the ui logic is that something that you, you want is like in an night in an ideal world yes but is that something that you're aiming for in your immediate plans so i i definitely like i i i love the idea of it but i'm mm-hmm. not so obnoxious to um I'm not so obnoxious to say that in front of my iOS teammates. <laughs> um, I think I think that like the uh, I think the sweet spot in 2019 is um, uh, Kevin Galligan from Touch Lab, who we're working with, has this like oh, yeah? amazing quote. He said, um, 
uh, shared logic is like the history of computers. And um, mm-hmm. so for us, I think that's like persistence and networking and business logic and the code that's um, further away from the pixels. Mm-hmm. And then um, as far as like what shows up on screen, I think the next like logical layer is going to be things like, um, I think it's going to be things like uh, navigation uh, systems. Mm-hmm. So like right. if, if I tap this like up arrow in the top left corner of, of the screen, where do mm-hmm. I go? That logic doesn't have to be duplicated across platforms. And although it's like sort of like close to the UI and that it's responded to a button press, it's actually right. not really UI business logic. Yeah, it's more. Yeah, I, I think like that's sure the UI is transforming in some ways with this logic, but really it is very core business logic, right? Like, do you go to the checkout or do you go to like, you know, the listing screen or something? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the, the that's as close as I want to get. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you get there, like, you would consider this, like, a 90% win. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, especially because, like, um, I'm really sensitive to things like, um, does the text field have selection handles that feel like the iOS native text field? Right, That's the right. sort of thing where, like, um, it will, uh, you get the... Um, uh, what's it called? The Canyon, uh, what's it called? The, uh, I, I'm, I'm talking about where, um, where it's too close. It's, it's almost real, but it's not real enough. What's that called? Uh, it's usually yeah. referred to with, um, uh, like fake impersonating people. What's it called? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we want to make it feel like, it'll come, uh, yeah. yeah, it'll come to us. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make it feel. I want to make it feel like really real, and I think the the best way to make it so that like the scroll behavior balances with the exact same physics as like the current version of iOS. Mm. Um, I think f- for that, like that's that means necessarily that like that's the code that that gets um, shared right. absolutely last. Yeah, that's like as close to the yeah because you need to get very close to the metal at that point, right, to be able to. Uh, emulate that in as like as yeah you have to get as close to how the platform mm-hmm. asks you to perform that so yeah cool all right I, yeah I, I love this uh, so uh, what are the next plans for like yeah what your efforts are in Kotlin multi-platform because I imagine a lot of people like want to also help with this uh, I know I mean we have like the exact same problem we're dealing with like you know it's almost like word to word the same kinds of situations that we're in. Uh, what are your thoughts around this? Like, uh, you know, what A, actually, let me rephrase like these specific questions. A, what do you think other people can do if they have a similar problem? B, what do you think are specific next steps for you in this multi-platform project? Uh, and like, you know, well, where's the progression of this project? So I think that like in 1993, uh, mm-hmm. if you were me and you were 12 years old, you would like identify as like, a Nintendo person or a Sega person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think in like 2009, you would be like an Android person or an iOS person. And I uh-huh. think I think we have to put those identities away and become mobile developers. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that what that means is, is that like we want to start, you know, identifying our mobile programming conferences not as DroidCon, but as like MobileCon or something like that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think I think there's like a lot of identity. Um, I think that mm-hmm. means that like 
not just reading the Android dev Reddit, but presumably there's something for uh, iOS that's equivalent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the one I follow is this thing called Objective C IO. It's OBJC.io, I think, is like, and they have like some good audience. Yeah, it's similar. But um, I mean, yeah. And do you think that's by virtue of people spending time building like mobile applications, eventually you reach that point where like, you know, you're able to gloss over? Or do you think it was the advent of Swift and Kotlin? Because both are very similar and they're such beautiful languages as against Objective-C and Java, right? Because I ideologically, I like your approach and I would, but if you had asked me even four years back when we didn't have Swift and Kotlin, I would, I would not necessarily subscribe <laughs> to that, right? So for me personally, I know it's because these languages are similar and they're both very beautiful languages that I'm okay working with either, right? I think you're exactly right. Yeah. And um, and I think there's actually a bunch of other things that are not beautiful, both platforms have, that we right. want to uh, get rid of. Um, I think that with, uh, is it com Jetpack Compose? Yeah, yeah, that's right, Jetpack Compose. The mm -hmm. days of like XML layouts may be numbered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that XML, XML layouts are something that we potentially hold our nose and and do, but I don't think that they're like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think that XML layouts is actually the most ideal way to express a layout. Um, I think that on mm -hmm. iOS, like I said, core data is a thing where um, right. I don't want to learn. Fun. I don't. I don't want to learn core data. Just like full stop. Um, <laughs> Just like, you know, at a certain point, like your preference will overtake your sanity, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I think that there's like this uh, best of all worlds um, opportunity where mm -hmm. um, we can have really good uh, tools that are native tools that work on both platforms. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I'm eager for. And then mm -hmm. for like, you know, developers working on their teams. I think that, like, if if you can start um, contributing to both platforms, uh, if you if you start contributing to both platforms and start uh, reading code on both platforms and like appreciating mm -hmm. the fact that both platforms are very very similar, I think that that's where we're all going. I love that idea. Uh, you have to change fragmented uh, the podcast name. <laughs> To be an Android and iOS developer podcast, I find that will be annoying. Yeah, I know, and it doesn't have the same ring to it. I think, like you know, it's not as catchy. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll try to come up with something. Yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> defragmented. Defragmented. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I also need to ask: uh, Were you a Sega or Nintendo person? I oh, think definitely Nintendo. Nintendo. Yeah, you you sound like a Nintendo. I would. I personally was a Sega person, but that's mostly because I grew up on Sega. Like it was yeah. the advent of Sega, like where I was and. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I, I love that analogy. I'm going to totally use that, by the way. <laughs> I think I think maybe the thing that's sad is is that like the Sega people all lost, right? I know that's why it was like. And the thing is, it, 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 it like it kills me. I, I love Nintendo as well. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think Nintendo just like executed better, but I don't know what it is. Like I never knew why like Sega lost because people loved it, and you know, I mean, I loved it. I know like it was a fanatical like following, right? Like I still, I actually probably like have uh some of my cartridges my sega cartridges from like the early early days uh I, I, yeah i don't know what it is but i guess like nintendo is i mean yeah you're here and i don't even think listeners like you know the listeners of today even know what sega is so <laughs> i've got i've got the word that we were looking for 
What's, oh, yeah, what is it? Yes, please. Uncanny Valley. That's the word I was... Uncanny Valley. Ah, yes, yes, yes. So when you're using an app that is emulating another platform, um, mm-hmm. this is like the old Cordova problem. It's like, right, right, right. it looks right. I just can't place my finger on why it's not the real thing. Right. It's like close enough, but it's not close, really. Like, you know, it's just not close enough to be able to tell the difference. Yeah, Jesse, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I Just like some last parting thoughts. What do you think about like going all in like with things like Flutter? Because uh, I, I mean, and yeah, you can choose to yeah not answer that, but like, yeah, it's up to you. Because <laughs> I know like some people yeah. have like very strong feelings yeah. against Flutter. Yeah. I, I think that um, I, I think that the strength of a software development platform, mm-hmm. um, there's basically two different approaches you can go. You can go the approach of um, mostly like Kotlin, and you could say we're going to embrace tooling as a competitive mm-hmm. advantage. And so Kotlin right. has a really really great IDE with really really great refactoring support, plus just an incredible wealth of great. Uh, Java open source things. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can say, you know, the language isn't that important. The ultimate goal that we're attempting to solve, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it's just like the language is a means to an end. And mm-hmm. my my anxiety about Flutter is I just think mm-hmm. that like Dart is a bad language. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that like there's anything I could point to and say like this piece of Dart is specifically problematic. I think it's just ultimately like um, Dart as a language is really, really scoped to a narrow domain. Mm. And if you need to do, um, you know, you need to like call a SOAP API from Dart, it's like, well, time to figure out SOAP, right? Or if you need to... um, It's like a purpose-built solution that, and every time you have a new purpose, you have to like build it as you go. You're like, okay, I want to refactor my Dart endpoints, it's like, okay, you'll be the very first person to solve it. And it's possible <laughs> that right. like over time, the investment in Dart will realize that. But mm-hmm. I think that like Dart as a programming language is still years behind uh, Kotlin, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I just don't want to build a 20,000 right. line Dart program. I think that like mm-hmm. uh, building a 1,000 line Dart demo is really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm basically going to wait until Dart is more, the Dart ecosystem is, is more baked. And, uh, and then I guess like the one other piece of that is, is that, um, again, my, my friend Kevin Galligan says that like the future of Dart is far less certain than the future of like the Android platform as a, as a development target. And like, Google has shown that they will like kill these things when they are no longer profitable. Um, I I just don't see, uh, I I don't see like the the happiness of being a Dart programmer if mm. that if Google gets cool on. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, and that's valid. It has happened in the past too, right? So. Yeah. Um, especially because like, if you think about the programming language investments going on at Google, mm-hmm. it's Go and Colin and Java and JavaScript, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And um, I think that, like, uh, if if Google misses their earnings for a quarter, 
what gets cut yeah. it's like oh well <laughs> you know we'll be really annoyed if the people working on the hamilton app have to rewrite it <laughs> um right. but i don't think kotlin is going anywhere so that's fine that's fine yeah that's a good point uh also yeah uh, another quick follow-up i had so if folks want to follow along with what you're doing with the kotlin multi-platform stuff uh uh what should yeah who where should they be looking I think that it's all relatively new. Um, uh, there is, it's it's not like, I don't think it's necessarily ready yet, but there's a lot of excitement. If you're building, if you're willing to take, um, if, if you're willing to dive in, like Kotlin multi-platform is a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I guess as I said with Dart, actually, like mm-hmm. if you're going to, you need to do SOAP or XML or something in Kotlin multi-platform, you may find yourself the first person ever to need to solve those problems. Um, uh, but the thing that's nice about it is, is that you still get your Android app. Um, (laughs) so, uh, in terms of like resources, um, I'm mostly, uh, I'm just mostly like, you know, following, following smart multi-platform people on Twitter. Yeah. And I think, yeah, Kevin, uh, Kevin's one of them. We'll add like links to like, and Alec. Kevin Galgan, Alex Strong. They're like our sort of like Kotlin multi-platform dream team. Also, um, there's a guy I work with named uh, Igor Andrevich, and uh, a- Igor Andrevich, and uh-huh. he's uh, been basically building our protocol buffers implementation in Kotlin multi-platform. Nice, nice, uh, perfect. And like, yeah, we will definitely like try to add links to all of these Twitter profiles if folks are interested. My last question, I promise, I'll, I'll, I'll make this the last question. <laughs> uh, you mentioned when you started off that. Uh, part of like the focus with like the JavaScript solution was like being able to serve like on the fly logic, right? With the Kotlin multi-platform, it is mostly agility, which is like being able to like get teams to move faster, right? Do you think there's like a world where you'd be able to achieve both? Like with the Kotlin multi-platform, is that something that's also like you're aiming to do now or is that like a, a TBD, uh, you know, or like a work in progress? The, the goalposts look like writing pretty much an entire application in Kotlin. Um, mm-hmm. I think that like, I think that that's a, a obtainable, attainable and um, requires a lot of invention today. But mm-hmm. um, thanks to open source, like, you know, as these problems get knocked down and solved, they stay solved for basically for everybody. Right. So um, we're investing in um, trying to make OKHP work multi-platform. Um, mm-hmm. We've got SQL Delight working multi-platform. And I think that like, you know, we're going to need other open source uh, contributors to provide other features and facets. Uh, it's certainly, it's certainly like uh, having having to build two apps is something that I think we will uh, look back on as a massive waste of resources and talent. Yep, I yeah, I definitely believe that too. Jesse, this was a lot of fun as always. Yeah, I could I have like another four threads in my head that I want to like <laughs> ping you and like go on for another four hours, but I know that's not necessarily something that I can do. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for like chatting with me. Uh, if folks want to reach out to you, is there like any place uh, that they should do? My best is uh, Jesse Wilson on Twitter. Alrighty, alrighty. Thank you so much, Jesse. Before we get going, we'd like to say thank you to this week's episode sponsor, and that is Instabug, where you can squash bugs in less than a minute. If you're looking for a smart crash reporting solution which identifies similar crashes, groups them together, and also measures severity according to impact on your users, then look no further than Instabug. 
If this is interesting to you, there's tons of other features that you can also integrate with, such as existing workflow integrations with tools you already use, additional feedback mechanisms for your end users, and so forth. If you want to learn more, go to instabug.com slash fragmented, sign up for free, install the SDK, and you'll get one of Instabug's brand new t-shirts. Again, that's instabug.com slash fragmented. Thanks, Instabug. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. Sarah the Amazing Jackson from the Spec Network helps with production assistance and wraps our final mix. Our theme and ad music is by the national recording artist Blueprint from Weightless Recordings. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.